Damn Good Podcast is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. You know what it's like sitting there, want to go to the game, not quite sure, tickets are expensive, just wait until the last minute. You can get up to 60% off with all the best last-minute ticket deals. That includes Georgia tickets. They drop right before kickoff. Trust me, just go to the Game Time app and you'll see. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The app is quick, simple, easy to navigate. You can get music and theater tickets there as well. And believe it or not, there's an in-app panoramic seat view from every section. You know where you're going to sit before you go to the game. That's always important. Head to the App Store or Play Store now and download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Damn Good Podcast. This is Seth Emerson. Over there is Ready Current. Ready? How you doing? Doing great, man. Glad to be on for another week. And let's get, we'll dispense with the Missouri game pretty quickly. Uh, not that we won't touch on it and kind of refer to it, but I, I think everyone wants to talk about Auburn um, and what's going to happen here. Uh, right off, Rennie, I'll just ask you for your opening impressions. Georgia was favored by three points last I saw. Uh, that there's usually three points given for a home environment, so they basically consider Georgetown or Georgia about a touchdown favorite. What do you think? What do you think about this game? What's your feel? Um, I mean, it's definitely obviously going to be a game that's built off the momentum. You know, I always say that, man, whoever goes in, whoever's able to execute early on that Saturday, man, and can establish themselves from the get-go is, uh, I feel like, ultimately who's going to be victorious. I mean, this is, as you know, you know, South's oldest rivalry is going to be a lot of high emotions. Both teams know what's at stake for this game. And uh, anytime you have a game like this where, you know, both teams have the potential to uh, still kind of control their own destiny, it typically comes down, and I agree with the um, kind of standings and, and what's projected as far as it being a very close game. I, I think it's it's one of those games where it's right. It's going to come down to a few plays. Um, you know, who gets that turnover, who makes that one or two big plays, breakaway plays to, to seal this game. So that's what I kind of look at. And with us, I mean, it's kind of a perfect storm. And I'm going to talk about, about it a little bit later. But with us having a couple injuries and with them coming off that bye week, um, it's, it's going to make a big difference ultimately. Um, yeah, yeah, there's there's some intangible factors that work against Georgia. One is obviously the home environment. The other is the bye week part of it. Uh, it, it didn't really help Missouri, but I think it helped South Carolina. Pretty sure South Carolina had a bye before Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 but Georgia, here, here's where I am. Before the season started and even – after the South Carolina game, I held to this. I had this as the one game Georgia would lose. My mm-hmm. prediction preseason was 11-1 and for Georgia losing this game. And I thought after the South Carolina game, it was like, well, we've seen a lot of flaws with this team, That and even after the Kentucky game. But not even so much for Georgia, for what Georgia's done, although I think they've, they've done some things on offense they need to do, and I'm starting to believe in the defense more and more. It, it's more about Auburn. 
I'm not sure Auburn mm. is is going to be able to, without its absolute best performance and without Georgia making some mistakes, I, I'm not sure I have as much faith in them. I, I don't know, Randy, how much you've had a chance to, to watch them. Um, I've only been able to watch them in bits and pieces because I'm usually watching the Georgia game. Um, but, I, I, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I um, honestly haven't been able to watch a lot of them besides highlights uh, here and there, but I know the impact of having a bye week uh, coming into any big game, just how you have the opportunity to really uh, get your mindset right. Um, you have the chance, just like we did uh, leading into that Florida week, man, we had a chance to really get our young guys some reps, work on uh, fine-tuning those areas of weakness. So I, I don't think we're going to see the same Auburn team. You know, I think they uh, obviously are going to have that time to rest up, to uh, take care of those nicks and bruises. And then, as you saw in that Missouri game, we lost a couple uh, offensive linemen, uh, Cager. I'm hoping he's able to uh, come back, you know, off that shoulder injury. But if he's not, that's definitely going to make a difference. It's going to put a lot of uh, pressure on our younger guys like Pickens and uh, Demetrius Robertson to really step up. Uh, and fill that uh, gap. So it'll be an interesting thing to see, but I, I definitely think there's a lot of benefits in that bye week, and it's, it's going to help them along with being at home. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, the, the Cager injury is, and Trey Hill too, uh, it's yeah. tough to get a great read on because Kirby said after the game that Cager could have returned, and he Monday when he was asked about him again said he's going to practice and – cleared to practice, which means cleared to play, and uh, kind of indicated he was positive about Trey Hill also. But media is not being let into practice all week. And, well, we weren't allowed Monday. By the time this airs, we'll know whether or not we're getting in Tuesday. But if we're not allowed in Monday, it usually means we're not going to be allowed in Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, and that is unusual for Kirby. The only time he's not let us have a whole week to watch the practice or, or see any of practice was the week of the Florida game, but that was after we got to see the team during the bye week. So this would mean we will be told that Lawrence Cager is going to play, because that's apparently what we're going to be told, potentially without ever setting eyes on him, because mm. he didn't return to the sideline either in the uh, Missouri game. So no one's put eyes on him, and, I mean, I don't think Kirby would outright lie about it, I think you want to be a little squirrely and make Auburn think a little bit. Um, but it, it's a little bit of a tough thing to think. And I don't know, Rennie, you, I don't know if you've ever had a separated shoulder or you've known people that have had separated shoulders, but what is that to, to play on? Is it What is the risk for re-injury? Is it the kind of thing where, yeah, he can go out there and play, but you're – I mean, he, he was hit against Missouri and, and the injury came mm -hmm. back. Right, yeah, that's that's one of those that tough injury, injury injuries before, that, or? nah, I never had a, any type of shoulder injury. Um, I had a, a couple of stingers and whatnot and um, kind of some scares, but never any separations. And uh, typically when I did see a guy get a shoulder separation, it wasn't something that serious, but it's one of those things that it's kind of like an ankle injury. Like if you don't really get it taken care of, it can be reoccurring and, um, you know, can lead to a lot of inflammation. But every position is different too. You know, you're playing wide receiver, it's not like he has to bang every single play as opposed to like a linebacker, uh, you know, offensive lineman in the front seven where you have to, you know, use your hands on every single um, down and, and really uh, be physical. So I, I believe he can um, tough it through and, you know, be interesting to see. I do agree with Kirby, though, and not, uh, you know, giving that access in terms of 
letting everybody know is he going to play, is he not? Because he's one of those players that they're obviously going to have to game plan for. So um, whether he's in, whether he's not, I think keeping that on the hush, it, it definitely gives us the advantage because if he can't play and they spend time game planning for him, um, when we get into the game and we put in, you know, somebody else or have a, a different package, that's going to give us an advantage. You know, they're going to have to make adjustments based off of that. And then if he is playing, you know, um, it just helps us out even more. So, yeah, I, I agree with what Curry's doing. Yeah, let me preface this. I'm not going to so much disagree with what you're saying because I think Kirby is working with the rules at his disposal where mm-hmm. basically there are no rules. You know, this isn't the NFL, and obviously you've had a lot of exposure to the NFL, um, mm-hmm. where they have injury reports. And it, it's th- those injury reports are done, and they come down on coaches when they lie on them, which they don't do much anymore because they don't want to be fined. Um, they're done for gambling reasons and competitive integrity as well. But, you know, you don't want situations where somebody gets inside information and finds out that player A, who's so important, actually isn't paying and they're keeping it from the public. And then you have all this money go like, you know, surreptitiously under the table, whatever term you want to use to, to somebody. And everyone's like, hey, what's going on here? They, I, right. I've been saying for years, and I'm sorry to go on this rant, Randy. <laughs> But this is, this is my this is my rant, especially <laughs> with gambling is going to be legal now in a lot of states. It's it's moving that way in Georgia. It's it's obviously it's already been legal in Nevada for years. But um, yeah. it's since the Supreme Court decision last year, it's, it's been open to every state to do it. And I still think the more college football kind of has this Wild West mentality when it comes to injury reporting. It's it's something that people don't think is serious until it's going to become serious until you're going to have a situation where gamblers find out via inside info something that the public doesn't know about and you know who's giving them the inside info are they getting money to get it you know it's Mm -hmm. it's a dangerous situation but like you said kirby's working with the situation he's been given no one's going to find him for keeping the media out of practice and by the way dirty little secret of it is media does not want to be at every practice media does not want mm-hmm. to watch an entire hour and a half two hours of practice we have time in our day that we could spend doing other things too um but you know, that five or ten minutes that we usually do get would be valuable to say all right is Lawrence cater there okay good is trey hill there okay good um we're, we're not going to get that this week but that's something that kirby's allowed to do and if, if kirby doesn't want to be honest about reporting injuries would he, he, he doesn't have to be either Gus Malzahn doesn't have to be either it it's just something it's an interesting situation interesting dynamic in college football right now and college sports in general and I'm not sure college administrators college coaches have quite grasped that I think they're playing with fire a little bit anyway that's my big yeah. rant sorry Renny no he good he good it's uh I mean definitely a relevant uh thing to, to talk about I mean that can pose a risk, like you said, from especially that gambling standpoint, which I don't understand why gambling is even associated with amateur sports. You know, like um, if we're trying to maintain the integrity, why even open that door? Uh, but it is something that exists and that, that continually goes on. And so um, from Kirby's standpoint, I don't think, you know, necessarily lying, but uh, doing anything that you can protect, uh, anything you can do to protect yourself from a strategy standpoint, especially in a game like this, man, right. it's crucial. And it may not even be an injury. It's, you know, uh, any any little details, anything that can give them any type of advantage, you know, they make sure that, uh, especially when they're going into 
uh, a, a hostile environment, they're, they're going to an opponent's, uh, you know, uh, stadium, man, it's, it becomes even more serious. It, down to like, you know, if a freshman is walking around with their playbook, making sure that they're not leaving it in the bathroom or, you know, anywhere, yeah. man, when they get over there. So it, it gets really uh, serious when you talk about just protecting the strategy and protecting yourself when you're uh, not playing at home. Yeah, and it'll be it's it's an interesting thing to watch too. Like I, I I think a lot of times also not letting people know about injuries like or maybe let's say practice closing practice this week might not even really be about Lawrence Cager or Trey Hill. Mm-hmm. It might be about some other guys that are being held out of practice that we don't know about that have been playing through injuries, but they're gonna take it easy on them. Um, and not have them do much. I don't know how much that does happen. I've been told it does happen. Like, I think in your day, Rennie, uh, they, they use the black jerseys a lot more than they do now. Um, mm. We'd be able to, The media would be able to go out there and say, all right, these guys, and sometimes we'd list seven or eight guys that were in black jerseys, which means non-contact. They're, you don't hit them. They can practice, they can run around, they're getting reps, but don't hit them. They... Kirby doesn't really do that. They don't really have black jerseys on anybody except quarterbacks. It's rare that a non-quarterback is wearing one. Um, but I've heard of cases where guys put on a black jersey after the media leaves. Uh, mm. you know, I know that definitely happened under Mark Richt. I've heard it may happen under Kirby, but, again, they don't use the black jerseys as much. But I do wonder whether there's somebody or multiple people that Kirby just doesn't want Gus Malzahn and Auburn to know that this guy's a little bit limited. This guy's been pushing through. Although I will say that a lot of times people still find out. I still remember two years ago, we I was asked leading up to the national championship game by an Alabama reporter whether Isaiah Wynn had a torn labrum in his shoulder. Hmm. And I said, well, no, I, they haven't said that. I haven't, I haven't heard that. Um, doesn't mean it's not true, but no, it's not out there. And, and the reporter said, well, that's what we're hearing in Alabama. After the season ends, get around to pro day, Isaiah Wynn says, yeah, I was playing with a torn labrum pretty much the latter half of the season. So the word got to Alabama, mm. but they were able to keep it, you know, free from us, which made us look great. Like we're really on top of things in the sense that we're not. But it it, it still does get out. Um but I, that 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 I, and also, Renny, I think at this point in the season, people are hurt. There's a lot of nicks, knacks, and bruises anyway. Oh yeah, and you, you just made a great point when you talk about the other team finding out about those nagging injuries. Because you better believe if if for me as a linebacker, if I know that a running back, not to say I would, I'm trying to hurt anybody, but if I know a running back has a, a nagging ankle injury. I believe I might tug on that thing a little bit, like when I when I tackle him. I mean, it's just part of the game. And uh, yep. or if if I know that you know a player, it, it's not even it doesn't even have to be an injury. If I know a player leans to his right side when he runs a certain play, or he likes to favor a certain uh, you know side of uh, whatever. I mean, I'm I'm looking for any type of competitive advantage that, that I can. So I think that's part of it too. It's just looking for those areas of weakness, and whether it's a guy that's been dealing with a nagging industry, uh, uh, injury or uh, a, a player who uh, has tendencies or uh, to do certain things or has a pattern of doing certain things in certain situations. So I think that's part of it too, man, what, what Kirby tries to protect 
guys, especially like a cage you're from, because if he, you know, if they know how to uh, flare up an injury or take him out of the game, man, that puts us at a huge dis uh, disadvantage. How much did that happen where you guys got reports and said, hey, this guy's dealing with this, you know? Oh, all the time, man. <laughs> if you can accidentally hit him in this area, it might yeah. not be bad. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a, besides the performance, man, it's a lot of the psychology, you know, if that's the X factor. You look at the things on, that you can't really coach, the things that have nothing to do with size. It's the whole mindset, the psychology of the player. So if we know that there's a wide receiver who doesn't like to get hit or a running back who likes to juke uh, in certain situations, he likes to spin or whatever it is, we're going to use that to our advantage any way that we can. If, if we know that a team likes to, you know, uh, send him across the middle, but he's he's scared, shoot, or we can rattle that quarterback. I mean, that, that whole intimidation factor and, and affecting their psychology is, is huge. And it's something that a lot of time goes unnoticed. But as a player, when you're especially playing at a high level, man, it makes all the difference if you can get that guy to just uh, be off his game just a little bit. Or if he's a hothead and you can, you know, antagonize him a little bit and get him to, to uh, penalize himself. I mean, all those things make such a big difference when you're talking about the level of competition that we play at. So this game, um, you know, what do you think, Rennie, uh, just looking at what what do you think key matchups what what stands out to you as and and th by the way we always end up being wrong because games so many times don't go as expected when we say what's the key thing what's this going to spring on what's going to decide it but wh what are you going to be looking at the most Man. as an indicator here i mean i'm definitely going to be looking at uh, our wide receiver play depending on you know if cagers out there or not uh just seeing the guys who will have the ability to step up, whether they will or not. So guys like Demetrius Robertson, guys like George Pickens, who's continually, he's, he's been on the rise. He's starting to, I feel like, come into his own. Um, also, I feel like we need to continue to get our tight ends involved. You know, that's something that's mm -hmm. always talked about. So Charlie Warner, Eli Wolf, he made a, a big play. I think he's going to have to step up, uh, make another big play again, like he did in the Florida game. Um, so all those little, little uh, matchups, especially in the wide receiver core, not too worried about the, the defense. I feel like they've been playing great, uh, but um, make sure that they continue to get their eyes in the right place or keep their eyes in the right place, continue to make big plays when their numbers call, especially in the back end with our defensive backs. Um, just continue that success and in, in, uh, the, the uh, front seven continue to be consistent, staying after the quarterback. Uh, but it really starts for me on offense, just making sure that, uh, those guys are, are making themselves available and making plays and stepping up if, uh, you know, Cager's not able to, to be in the game. You know, Auburn's a, Auburn's interesting because their most recent game, they really kind of just slogged through and barely beat Ole Miss at home. And mm -hmm. you look at that and you're like, well, that's not really good. That's, that's a team that Georgia should be able to handle. But you can't forget what they've done otherwise, that they – they played LSU pretty close. Uh, they, I mean, you look at comparative opponents against Florida. I mean, they, they lost to Florida. That's the other thing, but that was at Florida. Uh, but they, they lost by three in Baton Rouge. That's, you know, that was just two weeks ago. Uh, I mean, they walloped Arkansas. Everybody's doing that. Um, they walloped Mississippi State. Mississippi State's not that great. They won by eight at Texas A&M. Um, way back at the start of the season, they barely beat Oregon, which hasn't lost since then. 
So they're a little bit all over the place. There, there's evidence, especially in a loss, for them being a really good team, which is the Baton Rouge game. There's evidence as recently as this past week of them not being that good, which is barely beating Ole Miss at home. So I, I'm, I mean, the X factor for me really is how much does Auburn show up? You know, I, I pointed this out in my story today that the three times, actually the last four times, that Georgia has lost in Jordan-Hare Stadium, Auburn was in the running for a national championship. And because of the place on the calendar, those games were always in November, in mid-November. Auburn really had something to play for. This year, Auburn doesn't have that, but they're not going into the crapper either, the way they were in 2012. And they weren't unranked like they were in 2015 when Jordan went in there and won. So I'll be curious at the fan atmosphere. I'll be curious at just the intangibles. How much does Auburn want to win this game? How into this is Auburn? And obviously for Georgia, it's all on the line. But for Auburn, I guess we, we just don't know at this point. Yeah, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I, I said this, man, uh, beginning of the season and each week, I feel like. But anytime a, ch- a team gets a chance to play us as Georgia, especially now that our, our reckoning is, is getting back up to where it was before, uh, we got that target on our back. And I feel like they're going to come out uh, with mm-hmm. their heads on fire and they're going to be um, in that mentality of uh, the fact that this is like a championship game, uh, both teams, you know, um, and not only because they have the chance to kind of ruin our chances of being in the playoffs, but also just because it's the next game. And as a competitor, these are the types of games that uh, you know, I mean, that you live for. Especially if you're a kid that, and I talked about this before too, if you're a kid that grew up in Georgia, who played, who uh, Georgia passed up on, plays at Auburn, I mean, you live and die for this game. This is mm-hmm. this is huge. So for somebody to think that, oh, because Auburn may be in a certain situation uh, where they have an opportunity to play in the SEC championship or don't have, regardless of the game, it doesn't really matter. You know, that these are guys who, uh, you know, who are there to compete and who are also thinking about long-term effects like their future and um, what a big game against the Georgia, against the DeAndre Swift or against the big Jake Fromm, guys who are going to have their name names called in the draft, like having a big game against them as well too. So there's other uh, motivators and, and other drivers too beyond just winning the game. So I, I definitely think we're going to see a, a different Auburn team. And I know uh, the guys are going to be ready. They're, they're going to be in that mindset of, you know, not uh, falling asleep, you know, not uh, taking anything for granted, not allowing a, a team just like South Carolina to kind of get that confidence and, and humble them. So, yeah. Your one game there, I believe, was 2008. And yeah. you all won 17-13. Mm-hmm. Um, Close game, yeah. Yeah. What, what do you remember about that place? What, is there something about Auburn and Jordan Hare that puts it a step above in terms of a difficult place to play, or was it – typical high-end SEC venue like Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, et cetera? Yeah, it's, it's typical. I would say typical high-end SEC caliber football, great environment, uh, great fans. I mean, and it's no different than if you go to Tennessee, if you go to Alabama, uh, it's all about controlling the crowd, man. And you do that by your performance. Mm-hmm. You know, you do that from the, the beginning of the game. Like, do you allow them to get into the game or not? Because – you know, that other team is going to feed off of that, obviously, you know, with them being at home. So as much as you can, like, keep them uh, – don't allow the crowd to become a part 
of building the, the momentum, I feel like that's that's always where you kind of start uh, when you go into those uh, opposing um, stadiums like that. And so that's what I remember is just how, uh, number one, every single play mattered. Uh, and then number two, I feel like we did a good job. Even you can look at when we went to LSU that same year. Right. Uh, I think Daryl Gamble got an interception the first play that they were on offense, which really set the tone and, and kept their, uh, you know, their fans kept the, the kept the, us with uh, maintaining that momentum throughout the whole entire game, so they can never really feed off of them. Uh, I don't care what anybody says that that makes a difference. Like when your fan when the fans get so loud that you can't even hear yourself talk, and you're a young guy and you're trying to communicate like a change in the defense or you know changing the offense to your teammate and he can't hear you and you're like what what you know and <laughs> you start this that little confusion that happens at least a penalty like all that little stuff adds up so i think yeah it makes it makes a big difference <coughs> uh, we need that's what i think about here by the way i'm i'm i'm, I'm dying here on the mic. <laughs> i'm sorry sorry about that but oh good one more <coughs> all right trying to get out my system no as you were mentioning lsu that you all won there mm-hmm. uh you're you're that same year that I think when you ask around it seems like LSU is the toughest the loudest venue in the SEC and that benefits Georgia in the sense that they played there last year most of the guys they've got some key guys some key freshmen like Nolan Smith um, and maybe some other guys who didn't make the trip Aziz Ojolari I don't believe made that trip last year he wasn't playing but I don't think he was on the travel roster either um so not everybody has been to LSU, but those that have can pass it on. There are a lot of people who were at Auburn two years ago. So you can prepare that way. Um, but this is going to be the, the toughest environment they've gone into this year. Tennessee this year, that was also a night game. This isn't technically – it'll be a night game when the second half starts. But, um, you know – Tennessee hung in there for a little bit. It wasn't, I mean, there, there, but there were some empty seats there. Vanderbilt clearly was mostly a Georgia crowd. Who am I forgetting? Um, South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri was here. Florida was half and half. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I forgetting, Rennie, a true road environment that Georgia has had this year? Or is it just Tennessee? Yeah, really it's just uh, Tennessee. That was a true test, with which Tennessee is not the – you know, the usual Tennessee um, that we're used to. But, yeah, nonetheless, I mean, that that's an SEC yeah, road so environment. That, yeah. yeah, and that's why that's a big X factor this week is, mm-hmm. is how – and this is a you know, this team still young in some spots is, is how they handle it. But they're not young at quarterback, and right. that's going to be a big help. They're not young on the offensive line. That's going to be a big help so those guys can – communicate in different ways uh, although you don't you know what if Trey Hill's not starting um, you've got Cade Mays in a different spot he's got a assuming he's starting at center calling plays even Trey Hill if he is starting is only a sophomore as a first year center so there, there's still different ways it could affect it but um, yeah I mean it all makes it kind of fascinating to watch and I, I at this point I am picking Georgia I'm kind of flipping my my preseason, um, but I won't be shocked if if it goes the other way. Mm. Yeah, it's it's well, definitely going to be an intense matchup. I, I uh, like I said, I agree with um, the predictions of how close of a game it's going to be. I, I definitely 
think with them, like I said, coming off the bye week uh, and with us kind of having a few nagging injuries that may or may not cause some uh, differences in the lineup, especially with our offensive line, like that uh, is, is, I think, going to have yeah. an effect. And as much as we're going to prepare, get guys ready, um, if, you know, one guy's off, it changes up the, the whole entire chemistry of the offensive line and how they can communicate uh, their confidence to run certain plays, all those little things uh, that I think make a difference in a, in a big game like that. And then you add in the fact that we're going into a hostile environment where they're licking their chops. You know, they're going to be trying to prove a point as every team is when they play us. Um, it's going to lead for, for an, a very intense game, a very physical game. And I think um, as much as we can go in there and, and really set the tone from the beginning, I think that'll really make a difference is those first couple of series uh, mm-hmm. How we're able to establish ourselves because if we're if we're in there, man, we get get on offense, we go three and out, first couple of, uh, series, and you know we allow them to drive the ball on the, on uh you know on us defensively. It's gonna be a long day, but I think if we can establish ourselves early on, it's gonna uh, be a good day for us, and we can continue it, to build that momentum. Weird. And I agree with you, uh, yeah. but people also point back at there are so many instances, and this happened in the 2017 season of mm-hmm. Auburn scoring first and then Georgia winning. Um, mm. Like in 2017, Georgia scored first in Auburn, I think a touchdown, and then Auburn ended up winning 40-17. to 17. Mm. SEC championship like two weeks later, three weeks later I think actually, um, Auburn scores first and then never again. <laughs> Georgia wins 28-7. I lied, I got another cough coming. <coughs> <laughs> Is the Athletic going to spring for that cough button? <laughs> All right, I'm still alive. Sorry. But Good. but I agree. Momentum is going to be so important this game early on. I, I you know, I, maybe in the back of people's minds it'll be like, uh, you know, if if Auburn scores 7 or even 10 right away and and such, but it's if Auburn does that, then because of the way Georgia's defense has been playing, then suddenly Georgia's defense looks mortal and that is going to hit the confidence level. And, you know, I've pointed this out that everyone trying to say that this Georgia defense is elite, it may be, but I don't think we know yet because they've faced four backup quarterbacks this year and Mm -hmm. five, if you count Kyle Trask, who wasn't Florida's starting quarterback when the season began. Now they're going to be facing a true freshman quarterback, albeit one who's been starting all year, but he's still a true freshman. So that helps, but, if if Auburn does start to you know, deliver some blows on Georgia's defense, then you know, that that has an effect. On the other hand, if Georgia's defense comes out and is getting some stops, and Georgia's offense is scoring, then that, like you said, starts to take the home crowd out of it. So yeah, I mean mm-hmm. I, that's where I think the first quarter could end up being pretty important. Yeah, without a doubt, it's it's definitely gonna be interesting. I trust our defense at this point. I mean, um, even though we have played. Backup quarterbacks, are, you know, less efficient offenses. Um, that execution has been there. You know, we're doing all the right things. We're getting the turnovers. We're getting to the quarterback when we need to. Um, having a lot of rush, you know, rushing t- uh, touchdown this season. So I think they're definitely on the right trajectory. And, and they are. I would I would be worried if they were like basking in the fact that you know they've had that success. Like they were allowing it to make them comfortable. But you see, mm-hmm. each week they're continuing to progress, which shows you that. You know, they're a team that's focused on improvement, focused on growth and not complacency. So, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I feel good about where they're going. 
Yeah, and you and I, have, I think, have both been skeptical early of the defense, but mm-hmm. they're kind of winning us over, even though I, I'm, I'm preaching skepticism, as in are they one of the top five defenses in the country? I, I still think they may be more in the area of top ten. And they may not need to be that good until they see LSU in the SEC championship based on the offenses they're going to see between now and then. And in the SEC championship, I still think this defense is good enough to give Georgia's offense a chance against the sure. LSU. So I, I think that that's that's a te- I think that's where this defense is right now. And I, you know, they they don't need to rely on the defense. That's why. They shouldn't mm-hmm. be relying on the defense. That's why I think there's still a lot of concern and a lot of focus on the offense because you can't expect the defense to keep carrying them. They, they shouldn't. Yeah. The offense needs to pick up a little bit more slack, which they did against Florida. And you know they had some moments in the Missouri game, some good moments, but overall, um, obviously that would have been a lot closer game if Georgia's defense wasn't as stout. So that, I think that's why people are looking at the offense is the, the defense, can it continue to play like this? We'll see, but the offense is so much capable. The, let's put it this way. The defense is playing way above its expectations. Mm-hmm. The offense is playing a little bit below. And yeah. that's yeah. why the focus is there. Definitely. And another guy we didn't mention much uh, with the show is, is old, the man with the specs, Rodrigo. Oh, yeah. Um, He's definitely going to be five. a difference maker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's definitely going to be a difference maker in this game. Um, we're going to be depending, I feel like, heavily on him, uh, you know, regardless if we get the offense going or not. Um, going to definitely need him to be consistent and continue doing what he's doing, what he's been doing the whole season. That's a guy who I, I think I was thinking this this morning. Um, Jake Fromm, I think, is somebody who increasingly, especially during games, gets criticized a lot by fans. Um uh, and then in the end, you know, they win and kind of forget what they're saying. I think people are going to – they're not going to fully appreciate Jake Fromm till he's gone, which mm-hmm. may not be until 2021. Uh, they may get another year of him. But with Rodrigo Blankenship, you know he's done, and that's a guy that I think really is going to start to be appreciated because just in college football, I think Georgia fans over the last three-plus years have really gotten used to knowing they've got a good kicker. Oh, and yeah. In college football, not many teams could say that. Yeah, without a doubt. Like you said, it's one of those things that, you know, isn't serious and isn't important until it is, until you have a bad one. Right. And uh, you get into those crucial situations where, you, you know, you need a, uh, those three extra points or it comes the game comes down to those points that you didn't get and uh, you realize how important it is. So, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, one last thing before we go, and it's not on the game. Rennie, I saw that you uh, visited Charlotte earlier this week and you uh, yeah. you saw our old friend Elijah Holyfield. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How's got he to, doing? Got to see him. He's doing great, man. Got to present to the Panthers rookies and whatnot. I've been um, doing a lot of different teams, man. But he's doing great. He's he's doing great. He's learning the ropes, uh, learning how to be a pro. They have him on practice squad right right now, which is one of the, the toughest things. Is when you get on the team, you you're used to playing, you're used to getting the reps, and um, you know you all of a sudden have to kind of be behind the scenes or yeah. be that scout team player essentially that's what practice squad is and you have to use get used to being a pro and staying ready even though you're not getting the amount of reps that you're used to and it's extremely tough we talked about this yesterday actually just how extremely tough that is when you play that running back or linebacker position which is very instinctual and so you it's like the best way and the most effective way that you're going to improve your performance 
and really learn what you're doing is to do it. <laughs> so it's it's hard at that pro level, but he's he's doing well. He's somebody I know. A lot of fans still think he should have returned, and and mm-hmm. I get that. But I I think that a lot of it people forget is like just personal situation and finances were not a problem for Elijah, obviously with his dad. But I, I remember talking to him uh, about a month after he made his decision to leave, and he actually had some pretty good reasoning behind it about how mm. running backs don't have as much tread on their tires. Mm-hmm. I think people are conditioned to think that running backs should return because Sony and, and Nick did and did well, but um, they were the outliers. They were celebrated oh, for, yeah. for a reason. Um, and Elijah talked about how he looked at the depth in George's backfield, and, and he, he was, I think, cashing in at his peak, he felt. And he ran for 1,000 yards as a junior. And mm-hmm. I thought that was fair uh, for him to, to look at that and say, well, with Zeus getting healthier, with Brian Harrion still around, with James mm-hmm. Cook coming back for a sophomore year, and DeAndre Swift obviously still around, he wasn't sure he was going to be as marketable after his senior year. Um, and obviously it didn't work out for him in the draft, but he's he's on a squad. It's practice squad right now, but he's he's there, so he's got a chance. Oh yeah, I mean, if you get your foot in the NFL facility, you're able to make it through that uh, first those cuts, man, and get down to that any anything near that 53 man roster, man. Like it's basically like winning the lottery. And uh, as a player, you have a small window of opportunity where you can really capitalize. And you know, most of us, what is it? It's 0.08 percent. I mean, I know it's always promoted the Sony Sony Michelles and the Nick Chubbs and and whatnot, but so many guys don't even get a workout. They they get into camp and that's kind of it for for their entire career. And you're talking about you've been working for something since you were five to ten years old. And so, um, you know, I I definitely think uh, when or you got to know like when it's time um, to to move forward and when it's time to capitalize because you may or may not get another chance. And it's very easy, like I said, to to look at uh, those who are excelling at a high level, the Todd Gurleys, and to think that's kind of the norm, but it's really not, you know, and even for some of those guys who have had a good career at any moment, that thing can be over. So uh, I don't, you know, get mad at any player for capitalizing on the, the hard work that they put in. I mean, in, anybody would. I always, you know, talk about the regular students. I'm like, if you give them the opportunity to go to a corporate company and, and get 200000 or anything near six figures and get benefits and whatnot in their junior year, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, they're going to go, <laughs> you know, they know it's a, a guaranteed job. Um, so it's, it's yes, would it be ideal for him to come back and get that extra year and, and become more mature? Yeah, but that's not the, the that's not the, the world that we live in, and especially the nature of the beast, which is the NFL. Um, you got to strike it while it's hot. Being a running back, man, it's a sh- very short-lived position, and, and, and those come a dime a dozen. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't blame him for taking that opportunity and running with it. And I wish him mm-hmm. the best. Close up with this. <clears throat> Hot off the press, Rennie, because we mentioned this earlier in the show. Uh, just got the email from UGA. Practice closed today. Mm. No open periods for the media. So there you go. There it is. I, I assume it'll be that way Wednesday, too. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, I'll be, I'll be curious uh, Saturday if, uh, again, the focus is on Lawrence Cager and, to a lesser extent, Trey Hill. I'll be curious if there's someone else out there that mm. has been dealing with something that we don't know about. I yeah, don't have any insider information on who that might be or else I'd report it. 
but I'm just curious. Yeah, would not be surprised. But yep. we shall see, like you said. All right, Rennie. Well, um, apologize, I will, for my uh, coughing fit, but, uh, you know. Oh, good. It's that time of the year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just really bad. You see some cough drops, um, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'll be back with Jeff Schultz later in the week, and then Rennie and I are going to be back here early next week to talk about what happened. Going to be a going to be a good one. Oh yeah, looking forward to it. All right, Rennie. Looking forward to it. Talk to you then. Thanks everybody. All right, guys. Go dogs.